everyone, welcome to the Brand Up Podcast, the place for founders with a million ideas, neurodivergent minds, and growing brands. If you sometimes find traditional marketing advice trickier to follow than you'd like, friend, you're not alone. I've lost count of the neurodivergent founders I've worked with who find traditional marketing advice difficult to follow, exhausting to execute, and frankly, disappointing in its results. On this podcast, you will learn about marketing that works for all kinds of brains. You'll hear conversations with experts who found their way to success, both online and in the real world. Whether I'm interviewing a guest or sharing the occasional solo episode, my promise is that we'll share useful information about how to market your business with more ease and better results, especially if, like me, you're neurodivergent. Two last things before we get started with today's episode. First, I joyfully live in a house with a considerable number of Devon Rex cats, five to be precise. They are a chatty bunch and they really don't like it when I close my office door. So if you hear them crying, fear not. I promise they get all the cuddles in the world once this recording is over. And two, I am prone to dropping the occasional sweary word. And I invite my guests not to censor themselves either when they join me on the podcast. So if you have sensitive ears around, pop some headphones in and you'll be all set. Let's get to today's episode. My guest today is someone whose energy and commitment I have long admired. Adela Hussein is a brilliant writer and a media pitching pro. In her former business, Adela successfully pitched her fashion tech startup into global publications like the Harvard Business Review, The Telegraph, Style Magazine, and so many more. Adela brings her pitching know-how, management consultant chops, and boundless energy to all of her work and to this conversation. She's helped business owners around the world craft their stories and get great coverage in the media. And today, she's sharing how you can start to do it too. From management consultant to fashion disruptor, you are now changing the way founders access and get known in the media. What drives the work that you do, Adela? Thank you so much for asking that, Anne. Um, so what drives the work that I do now today, helping small business owners pitch themselves to journalists uh, and get featured in the media, um, is that when I was um, a fashion tech entrepreneur, I found that I was relying on publicists to tell my story. But actually, when I did that, the discovery was that journalists actually wanted to talk directly to me rather than a middle party. And that um, no one could tell your story better than you, right? Mm. I, I was the best person to tell my story. I was the best person to speak passionately about my business. I knew everything that was going on, um, as opposed to a publicist who had a portfolio of 12 to 15 clients who could only dedicate a slice of time to a client. And so when I was speaking about my business to journalists, it, you know, it was a complete game changer. And I, my business was featured in 14 different publications in 12 months. 
uh, and so I no longer worked with publicists at that moment and decided that now for this current business, um, I, when I help entrepreneurs get featured in the media, I empower them with the skills to pitch themselves to the media because I know that's what journalists really want to hear. They want to hear from them directly. Yeah, it's a time savings for for journalists, right? And having worked in the PR agency, global PR agency world for mm-hmm. a decade and a half, I know so well how being that intermediary for at least huge businesses, you know, when there there's a whole team and it's not one particular founder, you do sort of need that intermediary. But when you have a much smaller business like the one that you had in a previous previous season of your life, when you're the one contacting the journalists and building those relationships yourself, it's such a time saving for them. And it means that they can get to a story that's interesting so much faster without having to dance around the emails and the phone calls with an intermediary. So that makes perfect sense. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's also about you as a founder and as a small business owner owning those relationships, because when you work with a publicist, it's a very different dynamic. The publicist owns those relationships in their little black book and they are the intermediary. When you are the founder, you want to be building relationships for the long term, right? Those relationships will last you for life. So when you are pitching your business directly to a journalist, if that journalist doesn't feature you, in the very first pitch, what you may end up finding, like I did, is some journalists will end up featuring you 18 months later, 24 months later, but you'll never know that unless you are owning that relationship and you're leading with that. So that's something that I'm very, very passionate about and I teach all my clients is to own those relationships. I don't wanna be owning those relationships for them. That's where they need to empower their own themselves and build their skills on that. Um, yeah. You teach your clients to own those relationships, to, to forge those relationships, to initiate the relationships, which is probably the most terrifying thing for someone who hasn't worked in the media space, to approach journalists whose byline they see in the newspaper, or they see online, or whose voices they hear on the radio or faces they see on the television. How do you support your founders, your clients to make that first step? Because it's often everything that we think in advance of, of contacting these mythical creatures that are beyond the, you know, media veil. It, we think that they're these incredible, you know, complex beings, but they're humans just like us who have a job to do. How do you support your clients to make that first step? I flip the script for my clients and I reframe their perspectives on journalists by telling them that if they don't tell their story, those journalists are going to get fired. What that means is when you pitch a story to journalists, you're actually helping to keep them in their jobs. I know that from first-hand experience because in my previous season, so before the fashion company, I was a transformational management consultant. What that meant was that one of my clients was a well-known company called Sky, Mm -hmm. specifically Sky Sports News, and I was hired in to transform Sky Sports and Sky Sports News um, on a big multi-million pound project. And uh, unfortunately, when the management consultants come in, hint for anyone who might be corporate, is that it's typically the phrase used as winter is coming. And what that means is there are going to be big cost cutting exercises down the line and people, former people who were like myself, right, they'll come in with their clipboards and they'll analyze which teams need to go, which teams are not productive. And so that was my job in Sky Sports, Sky Sports News, was to transform the culture and work out where there were unproductive journalists, Mm. journalists who were not giving those stories. And that was really tough in a 24-hour news channel. So yours truly was sitting in uh, the newsroom, 
news planning meetings on a Monday morning, you know, watching people like David Beckham and Lewis Hamilton kind of walking the 24 hour news you know, channel, very glamorous if you love sports, right? Um, and what I noticed and observed firsthand was those journalists that didn't pitch a story were out. Mm. They were on the spreadsheet to go out. So actually your job as an entrepreneur, to anyone who's listening right now, is to tell your story. Because actually it's not just about you and your business, you're contributing to an ecosystem. And when you tell your story, further down the line, beyond you and your business, you're keeping a journalist in their job. Because if that story is good, that journalist will then pitch it on a Monday morning news planning meeting and it will get featured and they'll get the byline. And that's what puts bread and butter on their table and stops them from getting fired and helps them lead a happy life. Yeah. And the more the, the more you can make it easy for journalists to have an angle or a story that they have never that's maybe never been heard, the the more sort of points you get them in the editorial ecosystem, as you say, in that media ecosystem where they, when they're bringing something new and they're bringing something fresh, truly new and truly fresh, it, it sets them apart, right? It sets them apart amongst their colleagues, amongst all the other freelancers that are being called on to write a column or to submit a video or whatever it is that they're, they're creating their, their content for. And so you're doing them a favor, which can be a little bit difficult to imagine when you're on the, the side of the veil that hasn't had that privileged access that you've had of being in Sky Sports and Sky Sports News and, and seeing all of these huge figures in, in the media. So you, at one point, you for anyone who is not on your mailing list, I highly urge everyone listening to get on your mailing list because you, your emails are amongst the best emails I receive. And I am a wordsmith by training, by profession. Words are my thing. And my goodness, do I love your emails. And in a recent email, you were talking about using the media for good. So making mm -hmm. the media, the, the way that founders interact with the media, a force for change, a force for paradigm shifting, a force for good. Tell us a little bit about that. Firstly, Al, I just want to say thank you so much for that beautiful compliment. You are indeed a wordsmith and I love your emails and the fact that you are, um, you hold my emails in high regard is just music to my ears. So thank you so much because often as a writer, we sit there and we write emails into the void and we think no one's reading our emails. Yep. Um, and it, it keeps happening to me. I keep meeting people in toilet queues people at random nursery events and discover they're on my email list. Yeah. <laughs> they know more about me than I know about me. <laughs> um, so funny. So um, I actually channel. So just for anyone who might be a writer, I actually channel with my emails. So I don't actually think too long and hard, which is actually really frustrating for someone. Mm. It's like, how do I write good emails? I really do channel and I go into another other world when I when I write and I go into a very flow state. Um, but so thank you, first of all, for that lovely com compliment. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Um, secondly, yes, I talk about using media as a force for good because typically what we, what we, what I see in the industry, um, is that people, you know, it, it, they, they almost kind of lead with their ego and not the story when it comes to pitching the media Almost. and what that means. <laughs> Uh, yeah, leading with the story, you know, they lead with their ego the whole time and yeah. they say, right, you know, um, uh, you know, it's all about me and my business and that's all anyone ever wants to hear about. And then they never hear anything back from the journalists mm -hmm. or whoever they're pitching to, which is actually what I tell my clients 
that I work with is lead with the story and not your ego. I.e., what is the story that needs to be told in the world right now? What do people need to hear about right now? And use the media as a force for good. So inside my media mastermind, I tend to attract a lot of health and wellness entrepreneurs. So I attract a lot of doctors, healers, psychologists, and I love that space because people need support. So a good example of using media as a force for good is a really beautiful example, very heartwarming, is that um, when sadly the Ukraine war broke out, um, one of my clients, um, Dr. Anna Colton, you know, she's a psychologist, uh, a child psychologist, and she typically pitches stories to the media and gets featured in the media about child anxiety, eating disorders, kind of heavy, gritty topics like that. But when the, the war in Ukraine broke out, she pitched a simple story to um, this morning, um, and she was featured that morning. She had to go to the studios, and she was on the couch. And the story that she pitched and was, was speaking about on the couch was how to talk to your child about Ukraine, mm. right? Because if you live in a diverse city, uh, like London, for example, you will probably find in a school playground that there will be both Ukrainian children and Russian children present. Mm -hmm. And what do you do then in your class, right? How do you talk to your child about A, there's a war, and B, actually there are people from either sides of that war in the you know, playground? Mm -hmm. That's a very you know complex conversation to have. And so what Anna did was pitch that story and was featured in the media because she broke it down from a child psychologist perspective. She gave parents five tips on how you sit down with your child at the end of the day and talk to them about the war in Ukraine. Mm. So that is a beautiful example about how you use media as a force for good, right? It's about tapping into what is happening in the world right now and how can you help people who need support, who don't find experts in their you know, social circle because it doesn't exist. Yeah. And how can you, as an expert, be of service to others and share your guidance? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. It makes sense to me. And I'm sure that it's going to make sense to everyone who's listening. And a key piece that you didn't mention there, but that you have written about and spoken about a lot is mm. the importance of something that we often forget, especially for founders who have a business that they've birthed from nothing which is most of us haven't usually bought a business. We're so invested in the story around the business, in the genesis of the business, in the vision, mission, values uh, of the business, the products we sell, the support we can, we can offer, that we often forget to listen. Can you talk mm -hmm. a little bit about the importance of listening and how when you listen as a business founder, that really is the key to increasing the likelihood of you being of building the relationship with a journalist and then being featured maybe once maybe multiple times yeah so entrepreneurs typically are the people who like to speak a lot right they like to speak a lot about their business because they they feel right if i don't broadcast my business and i don't tell everyone about my business i won't get the sales but actually Yes, it is important to tell people about your business, because if you don't tell people about your business, no one knows you exist, and therefore you can't bring the income that you need to ensure the business's survival. But what you talk about is really important. And to identify what you talk about comes from listening to your environments and understanding what are people talking about right now? 
that I can support them with. Mm -hmm. And when you listen, it's almost like you get the whispers from the universe telling you that's what you need to comment on. That's what you need to talk about. And so, you know, typically our, our kind of world, actually, you know, people are not that unique, right? We think everyone is really different. Everyone's really unique. But, you know, people aren't as unique as they think they are. Like they're reading the same news, the same set of stories are going in the media. Yep. Journalists will keep writing about right now, you know, here in the UK in July, where people are writing typically a lot about Barbie. It's yeah. kind of like everywhere, right? And so if you're an entrepreneur, a blatant whisper, it's not even a whisper, it's a broadcast in the universe, is everyone's talking about Barbie. Mm-hmm. How can you comment on that? Is it an angle for you to comment on that? Because a lot of journalists are writing about it. So, you you know, think about what is being said in your environment, you know, what's being said culturally. Um, and most importantly, how can you move the story on? Yeah. There's something I really teach and drill into my media mastermind students is that it's not about the present story. It's about predicting where is the story going and jumping on the train and saying, right, this is where it's heading. This is where a fresh perspective needs to be revealed. Which is also helping the journalist, right? Like, you, because if everyone's writing the same thing, if you're in the UK, you know, from the sun through, to, I mean, they wouldn't be, but from the sun to the Financial Times to whatever, obviously it's not the same media, not the same journalists, not the same objectives. But if, if everyone is broadly writing the same thing, it's it's really not interesting and people are just thinking gosh can this barbie thing just please please pass can we move on to something else so that that ability to look around to listen to hear conversations and to know as well to have the courage to reach out to a journalist and to do that well someone's listening and maybe thinking how do i possibly do that you can go on to websites you can find contact details you can find phone numbers to phone old school phone phone an editorial desk and ask for an email for this person or ask for an, uh, a phone number that you can contact them on so that you can give them your pitch. And just remember that the person on the other side really is a human with a job to do, no time, massive pressure, and they need to get something fresh. So as you're saying, how can you move that story along? Oh, hello. I have an invitation for you. Do you ever feel like you're always starting from scratch when you create marketing content or hired a freelancer who did an okay job, but somehow their words just didn't sound like you? Maybe you have team members waiting for you to approve marketing content so you can get the word out about your amazing offer. Oh, I feel you. It's hard. And I have good news. What if you could curate everything you know about your brand into a comprehensive collection and have it handy by your side every time you wanted to communicate. Or better still, hand it over to your team, brain transplant style, so you'd be sure that they'd get the voice just right. You can. Helping you do that is my superpower which is handy because I'm currently taking applications for Loud and Clear. It's the small group program that I created to help entrepreneurs like you sort through all that muddled spaghetti of stuff that you know about your brand. We start early in 2024. Wanna come along for the ride? Over three months, we'll create a resource that saves you time, effort, energy, and money. Best of all, it gets your work known without you ever having to start from scratch or be the bottleneck for your team. 
If you're ready to focus on what you do best instead of all the marketing, then Loud and Clear might be for you. If you know that you need to do this work, but group programs aren't really your jam, I also work one-to-one. -one. The link to contact me about this is in the show notes, or you can get in touch with me on socials at Andy Ferguson, whether you are interested in the Loud and Clear group program, or if you think you'd like us to rock it ahead, the two of us together. Either way, sharing what's in your head helps your brand grow. Let's get back to the episode. It's also about listening to the journalist, mm -hmm. consuming their work and reading their work. And that's actually, it's not even journalists, right? It's to podcasters, anyone you're pitching to. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to get really meta here and very direct, the reason I responded to your pitch to me, Anne, about coming onto this podcast was because you gave me evidence in the pitch itself that you read my emails. Mm -hmm. Like if I am probably one of the hardest people, despite I teach pitching to my students, to my odd, odd clients, to my entrepreneurs, because I'm probably one of the hardest people to pitch to. Yeah. And I give them everything, right? And, and for you, what you did, I, I, you know, I ignore most of the pitches that come in my inbox, to be honest. The reason I've replied to your pitch, you gave me evidence that you are on my email list. Yeah. You're quoting right now. Let's get meta here. You're quoting right now. I, items from my email list. You're giving that evidence. That for me as a writer makes me feel seen and heard. Mm -hmm. So if you're an entrepreneur listening right now and you're thinking, actually, I really want to be featured in this column by this journalist. The best thing you can do, this is the number one tip you have to do. Read their column and email them a compliment and tell them why you enjoyed reading the column in that week. What was it about that story that resonated with you? No ask. And no ask. You can, I mean, you can do it in an ask as well. If you, you know, I mean, this is one of the strategies I teach my clients, my media mastermind is, you know, layering the compliment into the pitch, mm -hmm. and give evidence that you know their work. Mm -hmm. And that will move your pitch into the upper, like top 5% of pitches the journalists will receive that day. It's so simple, isn't it? But it, it's, it's human. It's about building human relationships. And it's about, yes. as you've just said, it's about making sure to the best of your abilities that the person on the other end of the conversation feels heard, seen, honored. And that just means that it opens them up to potential conversation and relationship. I want to circle back to something that you said earlier, which is that we have the sense that everyone is so unique and different, but broadly we're all the same. However, when you had your previous fashion tech business, you were featured in the media and you were one of very few women of color to be featured in the media at that time. And mm -hmm. there is still a gross disproportion of guest experts, of commentators of all, you know, in all industries from a diverse range of people, be it skin color, what, what, you know, education level, language, sexuality, gender, all of the things. Yes. And you shared recently that you're interested in leading a media revolution to yes. break cycles, drive change, disrupt, speak up and leverage the media as a force for good, but also for representation. Talk to me about why it is, I mean, 
it feels like an obvious question, like as much as the nose on your face, but why is it so important for the media to have a, a more diverse range of guest experts, commentators in the coverage that they're sharing? It's to stop the echo chamber, right? Because if we all see the same content with the same people, we're not reflecting the true diversity of the population. We're only representing a small microcosm of, of the population. And actually, it ends up skewing people's perspectives and opinions. So if the media is not truly diverse, frankly speaking, you end up dumbing down the nation because you're removing the ability for each individual in a population to think critically for themselves and to understand that there are fresh perspectives, perspectives that you might not agree with. One of the most, I mean, this is going to sound controversial, but one of the most interesting conversations I ever had in my life was from a friend who was from Kansas, who was a, who was a Trump supporter, and she was living in my home. Um, and we were very good friends. But, you know, we had different perspectives on that. And she explained her perspective and where her, her thinking came from. And I actually thought, actually, yeah, I can kind of get, like, I don't agree with her opinions, but I have the confidence and the ability to have that conversation, right? And so that's really important, right, is to not dumb down the nation with just one kind of monotonous way of thinking. Um, and also, it's about improving our own brain power so that we do become a more risk-taking nation. We are more productive because if everyone thinks the same way, you know, research and data shows that if you don't have diverse thinking when it comes to things like creative problem solving, yeah. you know, you end up coming up with the same solutions. And that actually has a re really significant, you know, problem for the nation. We end up becoming less productive as a nation. We end up becoming, you know, less innovative because there's no fresh technology, yeah. no fresh ideas, no fresh products, no services. Uh, and that's dangerous. That's very dangerous from a long-term perspective. So it's really important that we start off at a micro level. And, you know, the signs for me and the signs for others is when you're typically scrolling on Instagram, does everyone look and sound the same on your on your feed, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If you're going to group events, does everyone look and sound the same? And if that is, that's a question for you to ask yourself, should I be going into new groups am i being dumbed down here like come on let's have a blunt conversation am i being dumbed down here yeah is everyone just saying the same thing do i even think critically about different perspectives here yeah this is the you know this operates on a micro and a macro level i, was, I did economics at university so it always comes down to <laughs> productivity and gdp but it's true like yeah. you know if we had to get really nerdy here one of my favorite people i ever pitched to was um, uh, Martha Lane Fox, Baroness Martha Lane Fox. Uh, and she said the UK is actually declining backwards in terms of productivity since the 80s. It was actually more productive in the 80s wow. in the UK than it is now. Wow. Such a depressing statistic, right? It is. But that comes down to us as individuals being very productive, thinking critically and, and asking for fresh ideas. And and having the sense? having the confidence. I think that there's there's something about um having having the confidence of your of our the integrity of integrity of our being and of our of our knowing for ourselves and not mm. feeling threatened by even having a conversation where someone may say something that feels uncomfortable and this is mm. something that in any 
I say this as, you know, a white woman, full to the brim of privileges, you know, being in situations where that, that feel quote uncomfortable is the best thing I can do for myself and for the people standing to the left of me, to the right of me, in front of me, behind me. It's the most useful thing that we can do is to learn to be with discomfort, not to flee it to the, to the extent where we can't even hear someone else's ideas because they feel threatening. I mean, there are extreme, extreme ideas that are terrifying and that, that I'm not necessarily able to, to be in space with. But as you said, you had this friend in your home who was a Trump supporter talking about her perspective and, and you are, were strong enough in your knowing and in your integrity. And you had enough trust in your friendship that there was space for you to have that exchange. And I think that what a lot of that dumbing down comes from the loss of listening, which is what we were talking about earlier, the loss of the, the ability to listen, which is a talent. And it is something that we can learn this, the loss of the ability to listen and to be able to be in discomfort, either our own discomfort in the face of something someone says to us that we disagree with or that we find a bit shocking, or the discomfort of someone else if we have an opinion that isn't, or a perspective that isn't theirs. And so yeah. to, to have that, that breadth of perspectives, of ideas, of ways of thinking, but also what I thought you would say, and your answer is really interesting to me, because what I thought you would say is that it's super important, and this is what we often hear and see, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And that feels a little facile as an expression, but there is, I feel, a grain of truth in it. And the, the place, my biggest experience of that was when I was in my early 30s, late 20s, my father lived on a barge. He had bought himself a barge in, in uh, Enkhausen in Holland. Mm. And he had refurbished it with his partner and they had sailed it across the English Channel. This is a Canadian who had never boated in his life. Sailed it across the English Channel because that's a good idea. It's a shipping channel. Got a little sketchy there at times. And they were living in um they were living in London and then they shipped back across and they were living in Paris. And I remember going to see him and I had seen an article in time, the the Time Out Guide to Paris back in the day when we had those books. And it showed that there was every Thursday night at 9 p.m. in the summer, there was a rollerblade through Paris back when rollerblades were the hot thing. And I packed my size 41 rollerblades in my suitcase, took a lot of space, and came across to Paris and went to that rollerblade. And there must have been 5,000 people there. And I was in wow. the middle of this rollerblade at night in a city that I didn't really know felt so energized and just, we started skating. And so we skated and we skated and skated. And we went through this area and we came around um, Cimetière du Père Lachaise and there was a downhill. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to end. <laughs> it's all going to end very badly. But the group held itself and communicated with arm signals up and down. And through the downhill, we were mostly all okay. I saw some spectacular falls, but the other place where I really had to borrow the courage of the people who I saw in front of me who were doing it, and therefore from seeing it, I could do it, was over cobblestone streets. Cobblestones and rollerblades, not a great combination. But if you're going at a fast enough clip and the cobblestones don't last for miles, you can actually cross the cobblestones just fine. And it was seeing other people doing the thing that had I been by myself, I would have stopped dead. There was no way I would have even, I would have like tried to walk across the cobblestones with my rollerblades gripping onto posts and whatever. But because the people in front of me just went for it, I, I could become what I saw. 
And that mm. was what I was kind of thinking you might say, and I'm delighted that that's not what you said. And yet I also feel that that matters. Like it matters to my vastly neurodivergent family that we hear from people who are neurodivergent so that my kids and I can see what's possible, you know? A hundred percent. And it's all the more reason why you as a founder, you know, everyone needs to pitch into the media so that we get those diverse stories. Because if you're not seeing your stories and your ideas in the media, that's a sign for you to pitch it, right? That's a sign for you to be the leader and to tell that story because clearly there's a gap. And that's what I say to everyone is look for the unsaid story. Where is the gap and how can you fill that with your story? Um, because you will then inspire others, right? You are being a leader every time you tell your story. There will be someone around the world who will be reading your story. You know, I'll never forget when one of my first major features was in Psychology's magazine. Um, and I thought the magazine was only, you know, its readership was limited to, the, to Europe. And I thought, great, I'm talking about vision boards. This was in 2016. Uh, I did gave an interview on vision boards and how it helped me start up my last business. And I received the most incredible email from a woman in Singapore saying she'd been inspired by the article to create her own vision board, to make mm. changes in her life. And it was just absolutely remarkable that I could be sitting in London, you know, doing a photo shoot here in London, and someone on the other side of the world in Asia is being inspired by my story. I just couldn't get my head around it back in 2016. Mm. Um, so it's so, so important. You never know yeah. who you're inspiring with your story. And often we are too close to our own stories. And we think, well, you know, no one's going to learn from that. But actually, everyone is at different stages of their life, different learning, you know, parts of the learning curve. You have the power to help someone today. So why not be of service and support others by telling your story? I could talk to you all day, Adela, and I have 700,000 million more questions to ask you. However, I think that that is a great place to end our conversation. Why not be of service? by sharing your story. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you so much, Anne. It's been a real, real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Brand Up Podcast, the neurodivergent founders hub for all things brain, voice, and brand. If you'd like to learn more about what you heard today, head to the show notes for all the useful usual links. Most importantly, if you're ready for marketing to be easier, and if you have a niggle that working on your brand voice strategy and messaging will help, psst, it really will. I'd love to talk to you about your brand. You can book a chat with me by reaching out on socials or through the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a minute to follow the podcast and do leave us a review. That way more brilliant neurodivergent founders like you and me will find the podcast and get the support they need. Marketing can be easier, more effective, and more fun when you share what's in your brain so your brand can grow. Speak soon. Mm -hmm.